Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey guys, welcome along. Uh, joining me today, the very wonderful Chris Tilly and Keza McDonald. And we also have an exceptionally special guest today. Now, I'm coming to you. Just hold so on. I, I knew right. it wasn't me you were talking about. <laughs> an exceptionally special guest today. Now, when most boys his age are just kicking a football up against the side of a house or running down the high street, being chased by a fat butcher with a little dog and a string of sausages in his mouth, this guy has been stuck in his bedroom, beavering away over his ZX81 for hours at a time to bring us something quite phenomenal, a brand new game, a brand new style of game even. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the mighty Jonathan Ross. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I did use the ZX, I, didn't, I don't know how you guessed that. <laughs> I thought you might have done. Did you have the 16K RAM pack on the back? I did, I, you know what, you've already exhausted my knowledge on such primitive technology. My <laughs> wife used to write her own basic code though, you know when computer games first went, used to buy them magazines that just had page after page of code that you typed in. And she made like the, one mistake. But yeah, one mistake and you had to go back and do it all again. And then what all you got on screen was a kind of like badly typed thing like, you go in a room, there is a candle. Do you A, pick up candle, B, ignore candle? That was kind of the level of gameplay, but gripping for its time. <laughs> gripping for its time. So but now you've made a game. I've made a game, but I haven't done the coding, I've got to be honest. I mean, right. we've used Unity, which I know is probably, I'm going to upset people now, the dummies coding. Okay, so I've been told <laughs> even I could learn how to code using Unity, but I haven't done it. Because I figure, it's like when I used to sort of do radio stuff, I didn't always drive the desk. You know, sometimes if you're kind of just worrying about what it looks like or what you want to say, sometimes you don't necessarily want to do that as well, I think. And also, I'm lazy. So those two reasons combined for me to employ far smarter people to do that for me. And we kind of, I mean, the idea of me getting involved in gaming is to set up a small studio. A fun studio, something where we can actually make a few games. This isn't me making, I mean, this isn't, and I haven't seen that many of them, but people have asked me, you know, oh, is it a sort of celeb vanity project? But it's not that. I'm not kind of doing it because I want to get, somehow get my name over the gaming world. You know, I just love games, love playing games, like talking about games. So I thought it would be fun to be involved in the creative process of actually trying to bring some ideas to kind of the gaming community. So we better say the name of the game. <laughs> yes. I see, I get too, see, I, I'm really bad at plugging because I always feel a bit embarrassed. A, a bit embarrassed, and B, I'm not that interested in playing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the game is called Catcher Catcher Alien, and uh, the reason why we're talking about it again now, it actually came out at the end of last year, um, is because we've, we've upgraded it, we've changed it, we've smoothed it out a little bit, and also we're going free on lots of different platforms now. When we released it initially, it was the 69P model on iOS only, uh, which didn't work for us really. I mean, we actually sold quite a lot, and to reward and thank the people who supported us when it first came out, we're giving them quite a lot of in-game credits. So you have to either earn which will take you many, many, many years of labour, or, uh, or you buy. So we're kind of, hopefully, we're kind of um, smoothing that over. But now we're going free, and we're on Google as well, and Android, and we're, I think it's on Kindle as well. All these different platforms, which is a bit of a nightmare, because they've all got these slightly different systems that you just have yeah. to tweak. And once again, I'm not doing it, but I know it's going on. I'm assuming it's Kindle Fire and not, not the Kindle e-reader, because I think the refresh rate of the screen might be a little it slow. It is the original black and white Kindle e-reader with the kind of silver content <laughs> button that goes like, that would be great. Someone, well, you know, those games like my wife used to play, you could get those on there. perfect for yeah. that, wouldn't it? Tell us a bit about Catch Catcher Aliens. If somebody hasn't played it, what's, what kind of game is it? So the sort of game I like playing, it's very interesting, because we were talking at home about the kind of game, so my wife is also involved in the company. As you might know, she's a screenwriter. She writes, mm. at the moment, she's been writing kind of big, 
blockbuster movies as well as a few smaller personal ones, one of which she's working on now. So she is working on a game for us. The kind of games she plays are much more kind of um, immersive. I mean, she's big. She plays WoW. Um, she also plays a little bit of Skyrim. She likes that kind of game. And and when she doesn't have that kind of time coming, she'll play time management games mainly. So Tiny Tower, Paradise Cove. There's a new one. Climb up a tree or something. Climb up a tree. <laughs> I live in a tree. I love my tree. Anyway, there's a tree-based time management <laughs> tree that she's enjoying at the moment as well. And it's weird because I'm sitting in bed and I'll hear these weird kind of reward noises from my iPad. You know, so I'll hear yippee, ka-ching. You know, these sort of strange noises. Sure, there's not a guy in there. A guy who wouldn't climb up and go ka-ching. That would be a very, very small guy. Maybe it's one of the puppies. So, so she plays that kind of. So that was the kind of area. Obviously, she's gravitating towards. I play games. I either play kind of more basic shooting up games. I play some kind of stuff which has a as a Japanese affiliation with design. I like that. But I also play the kind of quick. I'm Angry Birds. I'm Temple One. I'm you know those kind of games where you pick up and you can play it when you're in a queue. You can play it when you're on the toilet. Those kind of quick bursts. You enjoy it for three five minutes. Then maybe put it away and come back to it. So I wanted to do a game like that. Uh, and we started doing an endless running game because I was loving Temple One at the time, and I wanted to do something with a more a different feel. And we initially had something which I rather liked. Doesn't look anything like what we wound up with, which was a kind of a big lumbering toy trying to escape from a kind of kid's playroom. And it turned out the toy was an alien. Um, we had lots of different backstories for it, but then I realised it was, you know, and it was great fun. It looked great. It had a very different feel to it because it was kind of slower physics involved in it. Then, then you know, Temple One is very small and zippy. And this mm. was a big lumbering character, uh, and I think we would have had fun with that but I realised it was just an endless running game and I didn't want to do something which was already out there so then we kind of put a twist on it and we've come ours is kind of an it's not really endless but it's also it's catching hence the title Catch Catch Your Alien so you're actually running through different environments different plants but you have to catch lots of these different creatures while avoiding the indigenous population that's paying your wages and then you can beam yourself up to the ship and go onto another planet so it's, it's I, hope, I, I hope it's different enough for it to feel fun and feel worth people's while checking it out You mentioned playing games on the toilet I wonder what percentage of people just play games on the lavatory these days. I can answer that for you because I've done a lot of research. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah, I've spent an awful lot of money getting kind of forms filled in and I think, I don't know. Installing cameras. <laughs> yeah. There must be, I mean, I was thinking of, of having an iPad kind of like pinch the water so when people go and they could just help themselves. Yeah. But the, in these days of the spreading Noah virus, is that a great idea? Probably you can, you can well. get now a stand that attaches to your toilet roll holder that is an iPad holder stand thing. As always, someone's ahead of me. There, there really is, isn't there? I think it's a significant demographic. You've got your core gamers, your hardcore gamers, your casual gamers, your toilet gamers. Toilet <laughs> Yeah. You wouldn't really want to admit to being a toilet gamer, would you? I don't think, I don't think you put That's your hand up. That's not a box that you'd tick on a In a crowded room. Toilet gamers and everyone else shuffles away from them. So this is part of you. You've, you've basically opened up your, a game studio. We've got a very small, I mean, to call it a game studio sounds somewhat grand. I mean, there, there are three guys working full time. Uh, I go in and throw ideas around. Jane throws some ideas around, although she's working. She's behind schedule on two movies at the moment, so she's not so active. Uh, and my son, Harvey, who's also a massive gamer, he came in and he actually did, he wrote quite a lot of the code as well and got involved in that and he enjoyed that, so he's involved as well. And we, uh, we had a sort of brainstorming session yesterday where we worked out the next project that I'm going forward with, which mm. is fun, but it's kind of, it's got a very retro feel to it, but it's also to do with something that I'm involved with elsewhere today. So it's, yeah, hopefully that will be fun and, and that will also be free as well when it comes out. Let's move on and uh, just talk about what else you're up to at the moment. Because you're not, you're, you're not doing much radio anymore. I'm not doing any radio at the moment. It, which disappoints me because I, I, I think your radio is... Your radio. Your radio show. When I did radio. I loved, I loved doing radio. And, I, you know, I almost... Um, I was involved with a group of people who were going to buy a station and I was going to do a breakfast show for a while. But, but you know, I just realised that's so much work. Mm. And it's like I'm so enjoying doing other things. I mean, I'm doing... You know, working on the games. 
writing comics at the moment, working on a film project idea, working on TV shows as well, and to actually try and do something where you've got the energy. And I'm not getting any younger, unfortunately, although I'm working on that. I've got my son working on that. He's studying biomedical engineering. We're going to try and reverse this kind of whole aging thing. Um, <laughs> and I said aging, they're not Asian. I don't think <laughs> There's the headline. We've uh, got the headline. <laughs> I, I, I welcome the Asian community. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I, you know, I really miss doing it. But, you know, I want to do the right thing if I'm going to come back. I mean, I'm thinking of doing something where I just... I'm t talking with someone once again about very new technology, about a way of doing radio and delivering radio which hasn't been done before. And we might, we might be announcing something like that. But, you know, it's so much talk out there. And it's like you, you talk too early about something and it just disappears. It kind of feels always a bit... It's the equivalent of, um, what's that sort of, what do they call when stuff, vaporware? Yeah. Yes. You know, so I don't like chatting about stuff if I don't know I'm doing it for sure. But, but I, I do intend, if I get the chance to do more radio at some stage, because I really enjoy that form of communication. I love that medium. I get, I get the sense, though, with writing the comics, that's the job you've always wanted. Like, you're doing something that, as a child, you would have dreamed of. It kind of, of nearly is. The job I really always wanted was drawing comics. But right. I'm not a good enough artist. You know, and I could draw, and I kind of lay them out, and I send my thoughts of layouts to people, and I go, yeah. And, and nine times out of ten, because you have to be aware of, you've only got a certain amount of real estate to play with in a comic book, especially if you're doing these days all down to 20 pages. But I do some which are 30, 35, which is kind of stupid, because it takes so long to get that out. It's twice as long as a normal book. But say you're doing 20 pages, there's only so much space you can take up, so you have to be aware, okay, we've got four panels or five panels on this page. And if you're telling yourself, there's only a number of shots you can do in that. You know? And in the hands of a great artist, they can make almost anything exciting, even if it's just two people talking for three pages. But you do have to be aware of what you've got. So I'm kind of involved in the, the layout and the structure. But I do love the writing. I, love, I, like, I like trying to tell stories. You know? And that's kind of what games can be about. That's obviously what comics are about and films are about. So that's why I'm doing that, really. But I'm having a great time doing it. And I love being part of that community. You know, being... I mean, it's, you know, I've always been part of the comic community in a way, but being there more than just as a consumer, it's a very nice feeling, you know, to actually be talking to other people. And, and the fact that I get... Here's the great thing. This is a secret I shouldn't maybe give away. But because I write comics which are printed by a professional comic company, I'm now a comics professional, which means I can get the professional ticket to go to San Diego, which means it doesn't cost me anything. Nice. Nice. That's and, good. You know, and it's not the money. You can't get those tickets. No. They're a nightmare. <laughs> so I urge you all, write your own comic, bring it out, get on that professional list. You're in. <laughs> Have you got any, um, any exciting comics coming up, though? What, what are you working on at the moment? I'm just finishing America's Got Powers with Brian Hitch. So he's, got, he's finishing book six at the moment. We expand it from six issues to seven because, really, I could have wrapped it up in six, but it felt very rushed. And I wanted it to be... The thing is, if you're working with artists like Brian Hitch, he does those great two, three, four, five-page spreads that are so beautiful you want to give him the space that you don't want to give him a book which is all six panels on a page so I, I've spread, spread it out so and I'm just finishing book seven now and I'm working with Ian Churchill who's a, an artist who's also another UK artist on a book called The Revenger a tragedy which is a really gruesome over the top it's kind of got I'm calling it Revenger tragedy it's kind of a play on words with the Revenger tragedy the Jacobean play mm. and I'm using kind of like some fairly subtle Jacobean references which don't, aren't necessary, I'm just enjoying them. Like the covers of the four colours that were, the Jacobeans believed that the body was filled with four liquids, four, four humours that determined what you were. And they had certain colours, they were yellow, blue, red and green. So the covers are yellow, blue, red and green. So if you look at it and you know that stuff, it, but it's not really necessary, you know, it's just me having fun. But it's really over the top, lots of skin being removed and different skin transplanted and there's horns involved on a dwarf called Ignatio and there's murder and there's sex and there's a porn star and an old ancient movie star who's trying to, hold on desperately to his career and other people going... And based on anyone? No, but I did start thinking about... I was writing a superhero book about a very rich talk show host who got bored with life and decided that he wanted to become a superhero. And, uh, he spent his money on high-quality high tech to do it and then 
then it got very confusing. Then everyone thought it was this movie star he was interviewing who was like a Stallone character. Who was it? Because he had a bruised face after his girl to fight and he got angry because he wasn't getting the credit for being this crappy superhero. But that's on the back burner for now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, all these, all, all, all the comic book work you do, I, I would have thought that the natural progression for you would, would be to get behind the camera and start directing films, but it's not something you've ever really been interested in, is it? Well, I did a bit of TV directing. Directing is hard and directing is very time consuming. Turns out. You know, and it's like, and a lot of the people I meet who say they want to direct, and I'm not saying everyone, obviously, they, they say they want to direct. I get the feeling they want to direct, not because they really want to direct. It's so they can tell people they're a director. You know, you meet a lot of people in, in film and TV who, yeah, I really want anything. Do you really want it? You know, have you really got, I mean, when you see the guys who really can direct, when you see a, a, a piece of work, you think, okay, it's like I saw a film the other which I didn't like very much, Stoker. But oh, it's Park Chan Wook. So glad to hear that you didn't like it yeah. either. But I loved his direction. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, the story wasn't there for me, and the act, but the acting was fine. But it was incredible. And you really, he really knows how to make a shot work. So even though it was, you know, indulgent and pointless, I thought really it was a nice experience because it looked so incredible. You know, and a lot of those Korean directors. I mean, Korea makes incredible movies coming out of Korea at the moment. So you see that kind of thing. And I, I don't really think. I, I mean, I think I could maybe make a sequence work, but I don't really think I've got that eye. You know, and so to to go and give yourself, and it's two years of your life if you're yeah. going to do a movie. To spend two years of your life doing something and come out with something which is maybe, you know, like Resident Evil 3 or something. Mm. I'd rather have the, the years back. It's my, sure. my favourite film. Is it? <laughs> you're a big Uwe Boll fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're comfortable though, you're, you're happy creating stories and then kind of handing them over to somebody else. Well, there's a degree of collaboration there, which is rather like in the games world as well, in which mm. you work as a team. And you have to like people, you have to like interact with people to want to do that. I mean, you know, you could do it on your own, but it would take a lot longer and wouldn't be as good. And, and there is a comic idea I've been sketching out on me because I like drawing. You know, which I might never publish, but I've been working on this thing about this weird little kid who finds this hat that's been left around for a while, and it's obviously got properties, but maybe it isn't, maybe he's just bipolar. Anyway, and so it's, and it's set in the 20s, and I just quite like sketching and trying to do stuff in a scratchy way and working on different inking styles. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, love, I like working with people, and I like working, and I'm working, I've got about three or four other comics coming up, hopefully this year, two with guys who are in Europe, um, one with a kind of, well, I was working on one book, which the artist and I kind of parted company, unfortunately, called Golden Age, about superheroes in a retirement home, which is, now I'm going to do that with this comic, in theory, anyway, he said, yes, I'm doing it with this guy who was just a huge comic, not the guy I was talking about earlier, not Jim Steranko, this huge comic book guy from the 70s who I love, and he does great work, so I'm working with him on that, so hopefully that will come out this year as well. So by the end of the year, I think I'll have three new books out, in theory. Excellent. I'm really excited about it. Even the way that, that that film is kind of enmeshed in in our psyche, and that video games are becoming enmeshed, do you still find find it irritating that that comics still seem to be on the sidelines to a certain extent? That it's very difficult to reach a, a real mass audience with comics. I think I mean it's frustrating that you see people who are incredibly talented creators who don't earn much from their work and often have their work ripped off, and that frustrates me and bothers me. You know, especially you know the the whole thing about artist rights and whether a company can own the rights to an intellectual property or not. And of course, back in the day, that was sort of the norm, unless an artist had the wherewithal and the kind of financial standing to be able to say no to that. You know, and a few people did. I mean, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs, he held onto the rights of Tarzan, which allowed him to buy a town called Tarzana. Well, it wasn't called, he named it Tarzan. Obviously, that would have been a huge coincidence. <laughs> but you know, so, but a lot of those guys like Kirby and Dick and all those guys working for Marvel, they couldn't say no because they needed a paycheck and they needed health insurance, especially in America. So they came up with stuff like Captain America, the Fantastic Four, Hulk, Spider-Man, which has gone on to make billions of dollars for a company. You know, and, and they were struggling. You know, and they had periods in life where they were, and you think that's horrible. Mm. So it does bother me in that. But at the same time, part of me likes the fact that it's small because you know how it is when 
you've got something which you love and then suddenly everyone's talking about it, you lose that feeling of like, this is mine. You know, and I'm sure and lots of people in the gaming world feel that way, I think, about their favourite titles and when noobs come on and start playing it and it's like, they go, oh, what are you doing? So, but you kind of want it to reach a big audience because then it's, it's got a life, yeah. got a longer life. So it's a kind of mixed thing. I get a bit frustrated when people, you know, they get it wrong. That, that's what I hate most. I don't mind people enjoying comics. I don't mind people making movies of comics. But when they get it horribly wrong, it's a bit frustrating. When you see the potential for something, it's like Green Lantern could have been great was pretty horrible experience for everyone and uh, you know and it's, that was a hard one to get away always but they failed just about as magnificently as you could with that <laughs> you know so it's a shame really and I feel that's a shame because I don't want I don't want other comic films not to get made because they messed it up you know it's uh, I, I like them reaching a big audience Are you proprietorial about certain films then you said that you don't like kind of you know you like having stuff to yourself are there other films that you absolutely love that you kind of want to share, but at the same time you want to keep them? No, I, you know what? Necessary? I always want to share. I always want to share, and I always want people to, to to enjoy them. You know, so it's like I'm always giving. I mean, I've given away so many Miyazaki movies to people with kids. You know, I used to. I mean, seriously, in my house, I've got this TV in my office, which is on a thing like that, so I can move it that way if I'm writing. I can watch it from there. I play games on it as well. But behind it, it's got some storage space, and behind it, literally, I've got. 10 Ponyos, 10 Spirited Aways, 10 Howl's Moving Castle. And when people with kids from it, have ever seen it, I get one of each, they go, make your children watch that. Because they're the greatest children, greatest family films ever made, greatest mm. fantasy films ever made. I think Spirited Away may be the greatest movie ever made. You know? And really? I watched it. Yeah, I think it might be. I think it might be the greatest movie ever made. Seriously. You know, I just, it's faultless. You know, and there's lots of movies that I adore. But that's one. So uh, I'm very, I, I'm more kind of evangelical about things than proprietorial. I will be saying, watch this and like, I love it when you meet someone who should know a film doesn't matter. I quite like showing off. Yeah. Mm. Can I name drop magnificently? Cool. Okay. I met someone who'd never seen one of my favourite French films, and I was so delighted because it was Steven Spielberg, who you would think would know more about film. And I was interviewing Spielberg for something I was doing, and I was chatting about this film. I said, of course, yeah, you know, I mean, I love liking Bob Le Flambeur. And he said, what's that? I said, well, Bob Le Flambeur. He went, I haven't heard of it. I went, you haven't heard of Bob Le Flambeur, which is this incredible French film uh, from about 54, 55, something, directed by a, a guy called Melville, who directed a lot of incredible French thrillers, mm. uh, including Le Flic with Alain Delon, Le Samurai with Alain Delon. And um, uh, this one is just incredible. It's just a wonderful black and white movie which ends with a heist at a casino in Deauville, but it's shot on location. It's an incredible movie. You know, I did a speech about it at the BFI. So that's another film I have about 10 copies of at home and I'm just giving out to people all the time. So if you haven't seen Bob Le Flambeur, get it. And Flambeur, me, he's like a petty crook, crook, a gambler. And every night when he goes out gambling all night in Paris, playing, and, then, and in his apartment, which is obviously a fantastic apartment, before he goes to bed, he's got a one-armed bandit there. And he just has one last one last attempt at some good luck before bed every night. Because just really lovely touches like that. Great film. Spielberg had never heard of it, so I sent him a copy. Wow. And got it back. And then what was brilliant as well is the copy I sent him was just one of my own copies, and he sent it back. And what happened out with him was, there was a note inside to me from Richard Attenborough, who I'd also lent it to. <laughs> so, Thanks, this really is a great film. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> so I, and I, I, I lend films to people who aren't huge household name directors as well. I don't really think I only, you know, I'm kind of a bit more jealous than that. I'm not sort of sitting around waiting for Quentin Tarantino to call something and send it to him next. I hope he hasn't seen it. <laughs> Technology-wise, I'm guessing you've got a pretty nice home cinema. Not bad, you know, but it's not a huge because I like going to the cinema. We go to the cinema all the time, you know, and I get a lot of stuff uh, sent early, but we, we, I like going to the cinema. I like going to a nice cinema. If you go to something like um, 
uh, the Curzon or every man here in town or electric cinema where they make it more of an event destination, especially for older people like me, where it's bigger, comfier chairs, you can have a glass of wine and some chocolate buttons, you know. I like going there. But if you want to go and see a slasher movie or something like that, you can't beat something like The View on Finchley Road on a Saturday night. You know, you kind of want kids to be sitting there taxing doing this and they go, ah, what happened? You know, you kind of want that vibe. And that's part of that whole thing about being part of society and communicating with other people. That's what movies are at the best is when you're there in a big room with loads of other people really enjoying it, you know. And I, and I watch a lot of films at home. I'm always watching stuff at home. Although at the moment I got sent Keith Lemon the movie and I can't find anyone in the house who will watch it with me. <laughs> Not one person in the house will watch that with me. Not even well, the pets. He, he's funny. I just don't know if I want to see the movie. Well, Celebrity Juice is a funny TV show as yeah. well. But I think the film, it's a different animal. That's the thing. It is different. It's hard to move stuff over to that. Yeah. So is there space in your home cinema set up for the, for the next gen of consoles? Obviously the PS4 has just been announced. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Downstairs in my office, upstairs we've got a kind of kids' room, games' room sort of thing with a projector, which we, where my son is going to play FIFA mainly, it seems to me. FIFA and the occasional zombie kind of game. Or sometimes games where there's like four people shooting each other. That's it. You know, and they run around shooting each other and you'll hear, ah! No, uh, just swearing and shouting and laughing upstairs, and I enjoy that. Uh, downstairs in my office, I've got a thing under the TV with a special hinge that comes down. It's got all the consoles there. But it's a pain in the ass now when you have to upgrade one. Like when I had to go from the Wii to the Wii U, you've got to get all the wiring out the back and put it all back in. It's all different cables. So I've got, on there, I've got a PS and I've got Xbox and I've got Wii U and I've got a PC connected to it as well, but not a particularly fast one. It's not like an Alienware. Just an okay one, so I could play that on that if I want as well. So I will obviously upgrade to a PS4 when it comes out. So are you excited about the technology though, about the PS4? I am genuinely excited about all this stuff. I'm more excited about what might be coming out hardware-based from, say, Valve. You know, what they're doing sounds very interesting to me. And what's this new, the thing that everyone's looking forward to? The, the id, um, uh, yeah. Ocular, Ocular, Ocular Rift. Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift, I'm looking forward to that. That sounds exciting. Although, speaking of someone who actually bought a Nintendo uh, the what was the Game Virtual Boy? Boy? Virtual yeah. Boy. I had a Virtual Boy when it first came out, That's and hardcore. I still have residual migraines as a result of that. <laughs> you know, every now and then, if I move too quickly, I see Wario jumping over a cavern <laughs> in really bad 3D, and it's a whole. It's like a Nam flashback for me. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm wary of it, but I'm looking forward to it. And it does come to a stand where you think, okay, how, sometimes maybe we've got it about as good as we need it. I mean, you think there were lots of moves to change cinema in the 50s and 60s, and many of them failed because the cinema owners, the exhibitors, wouldn't invest in the technology. But do we need smell-o-vision? Do we need seats that rumble? Not really. It's not actually going to enhance the movie-going experience that much. Does 3D really enhance it that much? I, you know, I don't mind 3D movies, but I don't care if they're not in 3D. You know, I went to see The Hobbit in 3D. I thought it was a really boring film. It being in 3D didn't make it any more entertaining for me. Mm. You know, it really didn't. So I don't know if we need that. So do you need to be in that world? Uh, I don't know whether you need to. Maybe it would be, if we get to the stage where you really do feel like you've entered a virtual environment, that would be interesting and maybe a bit worrying, but that would be worth doing. But if you're just playing on a screen, however you dress it up and however you control it, ultimately, joypads work. They work great. They really work well. It's like the typewriter keyboard. That works great. That's why it hasn't really changed for a couple of hundred years. I imagine we'll still be playing with, you know, key, uh, joypads in a pretty similar form. You know, but you don't want to strap something on your hand and do all that and then sit, you don't need to, just pick it up. Yeah. It's a perfectly elegant, probably as perfect a solution as you're ever going to get. So I don't think we necessarily need that. So sometimes they're chasing it for the next big thing and the next good thing and the next exciting gimmick even they sell to people and we possibly don't need it. Well, like it or not, the next gen stuff is coming. Um, one of the uh, titles that will be coming out on next gen and also coming out for this gen as well is Assassin's Creed 4. Uh, the trailer's been released this week. Let's have a quick look at it. There was a time when I thought myself 
deadliest scourge of these seas. But this man is a fearsome dog that feeds off trouble and turmoil. I seen him clear the deck of a Spanish galleon like it were nothing. Fighting like a devil, dressed as a man. And he's a canny one. Knows his way round every crag and crevice of these islands. So if his fortune and adventure you seek, and Captain Edward Kenway's your man. Only, don't meddle in his private affairs. For there's more mystery of that man than even I dare ask. So after all that ridiculous embargo nonsense, the trailer is finally out and we finally know pretty much everything Ubisoft is willing to tell us about Assassin's Creed 4. So yeah, turns out it is pirates. Surprise, surprise, everybody. Um, the trailer's pretty cool, though. Um, well, we see we see a lot of classic pirate stuff. We see Blackbeard. We see uh, that the the star of it is in fact Hayden Kenway from Assassin's Creed 3's dad, Edward Kenway. I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm kind of sad for Ubisoft that it all leaked early. I think I'm I'm not particularly excited because I just think that pirates are this year's zombies by the look of things. I think everything's going to be pirate related this year. Everything was zombie related for the last couple of years, and it's it's going towards pirates now. So suddenly pirates, but. Um, the, the main thing about Assassin's Creed for me that's always been annoying about it and restrictive is the fact that you're in this beautiful world and you just want to explore it and it doesn't let you half the time. Mm. You know, you run up against an invisible wall and the animus goes, no, no, can't go here. Or you try and do something and it's like, no, no, it's not how you're supposed to do it. Whereas uh, in Assassin's Creed 4, you can basically w wander around the whole Caribbean in a ship. It's all seamless. There's no, you know, there's no, you, you can explore properly. Like a pirate, you can find stuff. You can find towns. You're not told to go anywhere anymore. You can explore underwater. You can find sunken treasure. All this sounds a lot more exciting to me than just basically being told what to do and then going and do it, which was the entirety of Assassin's Creed 3 for me. You're a big fan of Assassin's Creed, Jonathan. I haven't played it that much. My son's a huge fan. I like the kind of um, the physical qualities they're given the character. I like the way the character moves and fights and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, be I'm really getting bored of seeing that guy in that hood running around. <laughs> I know it's different guys in that hood, but you know what I mean? I don't want to see that guy in that hood anymore for a few years. You know, it's like Bungie with Halo. You think, okay, it's great fun, it's a great game. Do something new now. You know what? But don't don't say you're never going to do it again. Why don't you say there won't be a Halo for five years, but we've got this great game coming in two years' time, and then maybe that integrates and takes you into the next Halo. Who knows? I'd quite like to see them rest this guy up. You know, it's like you milk these franchises, and it's there is inevitably a diminishing return. You know, unless it's so different. But I'd quite like to see one set. I mean, you know, I like pirates. I, I can watch pirates all the time. I'd quite like to see the pirates kick his ass and use his silly cloak hat for a flag. That would be a good <laughs> end to it. Um, but I'd quite like to see one uh, set in uh, maybe just kind of, when would it be? I guess it would be 1910, something like England. And it could all be all suffragettes. And it's cool suffragettes fighting evil guys in top hats. And the Assassin's Creed can now be a lady in the cloak. And she can be the assassin suffragette creed, fighting for enfranchisement for women. You know, universal idea. suffrage. That's a that's 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 the next Assassin's Creed. You heard it here first. Have you uh, have you heard about the movie they've got in development? No. Uh, Michael Fassbender's developing it himself to play the character. 
So is, would you be more interested in seeing maybe a movie adaptation of the... You know what, those movies, the number of people I know who've got their finger in a pie and are talking about maybe doing this comic book or this video game or this one or, the, you know, it's like, it's all talk until it happens. I'd be quite, look, I'd, I'd watch Michael Fassbender in anything, you know. I sat through Prometheus, which wasn't great, <laughs> and quite enjoyed it because of him, yeah. you know, and the early Agreed. scenes with him on the ship were the best scenes, I thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the end when it came, a man in a rubber suit running around a bad, you know, a studio in Shepparton. I lost interest a little bit, although they're making a sequel to that. Um, so sure, I'd watch him in it, and you can see physically he's got the looks, and mm. he looks like he can handle himself. So that's always a good thing. Rather him than Jason Statham. In the <laughs> Not that I mind a bit of the Statham either. You know, Crank Two was an underrated masterpiece. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd, I'd go and see him in it. But I'm not really that interested in video games made in the films. I'd rather, you know, make video games as video games, keep those stories there, make, like, you know, I know they're talking about a World of Warcraft film, and, and I hope it would be great. And I don't, has it been announced who's directing that? Yeah, it has, and you know, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, are we Duncan Jones, yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to say if it wasn't. So He's a big World of Warcraft fan, which is... So if anyone can get it right, I think helps. he can get it right. Yeah. But I must admit, I'd be more interested in seeing him do something original again, I think, mm. really, than try and be forced to work to a template where, to an extent, unless they're giving him a completely free hand, he has to work to certain things that fans will want. Although I'd quite like to see it if you're running around World of Warcraft and they just see someone waiting by a post box, just digging up and down. You see a lot of that in the films, you know, <laughs> waiting for a delivery of something. Some, some points that have been grinded out by a poor kid in China for him. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I'll, I'll go and see almost anything. But I, but I, and I can see why they want to invest money. If they're going to put two hundred million dollars into something, which is kind of what it costs these days. Why not do it when you think there's an audience of half a million, you know, or two million, or five million people in each country that want to go and see it? And people yeah. will go and see a wow movie, and it is a, a brave enough scope. But you know, you think if they made a Starcraft film, you might as well just make a science fiction film. Mm. You know, mm. and really, if you're making a fantasy film, you might as well. Make just make a fantasy film. Make your Avatar was a great fun film. Essentially, that was a video game on screen, really, mm. but it worked brilliantly, you know. And it wouldn't have worked any better if that had been Halo, which it could have been on the backdrop. You didn't need that. So maybe what we want is more more movies based on board games like Battleship because that that worked. <laughs> I'd, I'd go and see. Even though it might be quite dull, I would go and see a Settlers of Catan film <laughs> if it had Michael Fassbender that. in it. I yeah, would definitely see yeah. that. Michael, for a big dramatic scene in which he says, I need another road. I need to reach the coast. Then I can get more wood. <laughs> Not that Fassbender probably needs. I don't want to go over there. <laughs> we've had some feedback about Assassin's Creed 4. Kev. We've had plenty of it. Um, so the first one we got is from a guy called Mark Kay, who's touched on something that we just mentioned, which is, my thought was the annual release of franchises isn't great. I looked at the GTA model instead. You know there's going to be another, but not next year. And most people really look forward to it. It shows that there's more time spent developing to produce a better quality product. I think we call that Valve time, don't we? It's ready when it's ready. I think Valve time is, is the extreme end of the spectrum, but I think I'd still rather have Valve time where you don't know if the game's ever even going to be released, let alone released within a halfway reasonable time frame. Well, you know they sent me Half-Life 3 for my approval about six months ago. Oh, yeah? It's good. I just finished it. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah? <laughs> pretty good. What pretty platform? Good. Pretty good. I'm going to taunt it later on, so look oh, out for that. <laughs> How does it end? How does it end? It ends bad. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone but Valve. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, but you know when that that's probably got to be the most anticipated game right now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I would have thought, okay, and then, but it's worth the wait. And wouldn't you rather wait and it be great than have it now and it be mediocre? Yeah, but I waited for the Stone Roses second album. You were in the minority, <laughs> I believe. That's right. showing you age, isn't it? It's all right, it's all right, really? Yeah, yeah but so? wouldn't, it wasn't you, the rather, coming, wouldn't but... you rather? I mean, yeah, you'd rather them. But see, I think yeah. that's a different thing because that's kind of like, that's lightning in a bottle trying to get an album right. But I think a game. You can get it right. They can get it right. And like, I don't know if you ever listened to any of the, you know, when you have the sort of walkthrough when you're playing 
and Portal all that, and they're talking about it or Team Four, and they're saying, oh, the "Well, director's commentary on Valve games is astonishing." They're great, and it's a great thing they do there. And you realise then the level of care they've put in. They've obviously finished it, or you know, finished writing this game, got it working, played it, played it again, played it again, looked at how it worked, played it again, then thought that's too much there, that's not enough there, and that's why it's such a satisfying experience, and it isn't rushed out. You well, know? Yeah, you don't want them to have to feel like they have to turn one out each year. Financially, maybe these studios do, but you want you'd love them to wait until they've got a story to tell. That's what it should be about. The same with movie sequels. Mm. You know, have I got a story to tell? Is there another story in this universe? If not, move on to the next and one. Especially with something like Assassins, where you have essentially an infinite number of possibilities because it's based around a machine that puts you in any period of history. Like, you could go anywhere. The yeah. thing with Assassins 4 is they started developing it in 2011 when Assassins 3 wasn't even out yet. So they had teams working on three or four different Assassins at once. I mean, they're obviously not going to be able to give full attention to any of them. But, you know, maybe also those kind of big companies... It's a bit like Hollywood studios in the, and like TV studios to a lesser extent like where I work. You know, you can be working on something in the period between when it's commissioned and the material comes out, all the people at the top of that company have changed. Mm. You know, you can be working on a movie for Fox or Paramount, say, and it's, you know, the guy in charge, I love this film, I'm behind it. For, fast forward two years later and it's finished, there's a guy in charge or a woman in charge that's got no idea, why would they commission that? Why they spend money on that? You know, and that's what happens, I think, with those bigger studios, not, not sure. quite as quickly as that. Whereas if you're dealing with a smaller company, if you're dealing with Valve, obviously, you know, you've got people at the top who actually can decide what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And I think there probably is a different imperative for them. It isn't a company that needs to have a return for investors by the end of the year. You know, and I'm not I'm not being negative about companies like that, but if you're Microsoft or Sony, obviously at the end of the year they're going to balance the books. Which is partly why their conferences are quite boring because yeah. they're sitting there talking to their investors rather than to us. Whereas when you're someone like, well, you know, but you could make them more fun, even. Then. But when you're something you know, like a small, if you are Valve, wait. You're going to have to wait. Sorry, that's um, the way it goes. I've got a piece of feedback from George Aldred who complains that Assassin's Creed 4 looks too similar. Um, George says, I've done ships and shotguns, I've killed the king's men, and I'm a bit bored of it now. I want Victorian England, World War or Asia, and also bigger battles. Well, you've uh, had some feedback, or you've got some feedback there about some other places that people would like to see Assassin's Creed set. Okay, well, yeah, I've got, I'm not sure who these are from. I don't know if they've got the names of these are from. Have I got the Highlighted names? Highlighted at the top, it should be. Okay, so, um, is this from Dave Connolly? Sounds right. Yes. Okay, Dave Connolly, another long email incoming. Lol, that means laugh out loud. Lots of laughs. Uh, he said it could work really well as an annual thing, despite being a mainly a single play experience. The problem is they've lingered too long on the story of XCO and a lot of people grew tired of the same time period, which I would agree with. I mm. think he's right there. Uh, so he said, here's some settings and plots that he would suggest French Revolution, although I think that would still look the same, to be honest with you, quite similar. Mm. Too much Renaissance. Yeah, and like too many women in big kind of crinolines walking around. You know, like the last one, the one for the Vita, which was set in New Orleans. Yeah, I think Liberation. Yeah, I played that. that. That could have been French Revolution, same sort of thing. Cold War. That's good. That's interesting. Cold was a good one. Might be a bit bleak, and mm. it might feel a little bit like a kind of um, you know COD kind of game going on there. You know, is it COD? Yeah, yeah. Cold yeah. Uh, World War Two. Same thing applies, I think, but it might be fun. Victorian London. There seems to be a big. Mm. As long as they avoid the cliches of steampunk. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm. And also, we've got the new Bioshock coming, which is kind of set in that mm. world, which looks like Victoriana. And it's very good, by the way. Have you played anything? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Pretty good. Ridiculously good. And um, he said, and yet they sat, and he suggested things, why do they stay with Etsy for the whole thing? And also, as a wee Scotsman, 
Dave's a wee Scotsman. He said, I'd love to see something based on the Scottish War of Independence. Do you know what? Braveheart, we, we discussed this a couple of, couple of weeks back, so I won't labour the point, but come on, Braveheart-style Jacobite revolution Scottish Assassin's Creed would be so good. It would be really bloody, it would be really violent, huge battles. And, and Mel Gibson's career needs rejuvenation. He could come sure, back and do it, couldn't he? The most famous time. Scotsman of them all. I don't know whether Mel's coming back. <laughs> but also, if it's Braveheart, you could also have a kind of kiddie mode where you switch it and everyone looks like the girl from Brave instead. Just running around <laughs> yeah. Lots of really long flowing ginger hair everywhere. You could have made an amazing game out of Braid, I think, if you'd, if you'd got people who really loved it. Well, they made that Temple One kind of thing, didn't yeah, they? Which was, just which, a, yeah. which was fine, but you know. I, I imagined like open world, sort of, you know, forest exploration, castle built, all this kind of stuff. Well, I didn't, I didn't think Brave was that great a movie, to be honest. With you. It looked stunning, mm. but I thought the film was a bit lacking. But I would love to see, and this would be an interesting case of something being inspired, then re inspiring something else. I would love to see a proper kind of Wreck It Ralph game world. Yeah. You know, not the game of um, uh, Fix It, whatever his name is, but the actual world where you can go from one game to another and you go from the retro style to the Super Bowl. So that would be pretty cool. Disney Infinity is a bit like that. that. Is that what they're doing with that? Yeah, Disney Infinity, basically you can play with any of the Disney movies that they release. And they come like as toys, like a Skylander. So like they've got cars, uh, The Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., etc., etc., and you move between all the worlds. That sounds fun. And also you can make mm. your own stuff that using everything from all the worlds and make your own like crazy mashups. Yeah, I like the sound really of that. Really cool idea. Mm. Last week on the show, we were talking about um, EA's decision to include microtransactions. Have you heard about this? Which uh, which game is it? Dead Space Three. It's the, the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. You've uh, you basically you know you can upgrade your guns easily and and you don't have to grind. Well, you pay so them. You pay them a little money. bit more. A little bit more. And you know, some people are for it. Some people are against it. Phil Natchum's written in. He says, "Well, I actually argued that it was like having half a screen shut down during a movie." Um, and you have to pay extra to get the other half of the screen opened up. But Phil Matchum's actually saying he doesn't think that comparison makes much sense since microtransactions don't provide a more real experience. Unlocking extra skins, extra items, extra weapons, or levelling up faster does not make the experience more real. You can usually enjoy the game without these extras. Can you get those extras without paying for them, though? Yeah, it just takes much longer. Yeah. So if you can earn them in-game, then I think he's got a point. If you can earn them in-game, fine. If you want to buy them, fine. People have got to pay for these games. They've got to monetize them. And the bigger companies need to make a profit, of course. But, you know, they need to monetize the game. If that's the way of doing it, fine. I, I would have thought, if you're already paying for the game, to have that on top seems a bit odd. You know, I mean, it seems a little bit... 40 pound plus. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're paying 40 quid already, then really it should be gettable without it taking you a year of your life to grind it out there. And if... And if this works for them, will it, will it not start creeping more and more into coming to becoming more like what you're describing? Yeah. If if those initial microtransactions do work, I think that would piss people off too much, though. I mean, the thing is, if they, I'm I'm with him on on EA stuff. I think generally EA stuff's quite well implemented. Like microtransactions are only bad when they're done really badly. And if EA starts doing them really badly, people will just stop. But maybe they're trying to step towards the day when they give the game away free. You know, I mean, people well, are getting yeah. to the stage where they want it to be free. Maybe that's they're just preparing the way and opening up the kind of revenue stream. Yeah. So it's like, okay, here's the new game for you. Here's the new big game that has cost us 100 million to make. We hope you will buy enough hats yeah. <laughs> to pay for this, which they will. People Sitting there will. with graphs of hat, hat yeah. just all about the hats. So you've got a bit more feedback on the microtransaction story. Let me find this. Hold it. Uh, this is from David Merritt, uh, and he talks about different games, but then he goes, more serious note, EA's decision to integrate microtransactions, he finds it somewhat worrisome. Here's why. Uh, their best microtransactions when used elegantly and subtly, something which EA's proposed blanket use hardly suggests they will be. Mm. Although, you know, they're not doing it yet, so he's kind of criticising something they haven't done yet. I'm already bombarded with adverts when I hit the dashboard, so the idea that in every EA title I might be pestered by cosmetic tat or worse game-breaking shortcuts is not something I'm looking forward to. He's quite angry about this, I think, in advance even though it hasn't happened yet. While some have pointed to the arcades to show these strategies are nothing new, games have changed a large amount in the different years, they're no longer purely gameplay-driven high-score affairs, but narrative-led, closed experiences, unlike a faraway low-investment app, 
uh, are something which I want to fill as complete product. He says they're not inherently evil, but without proper thought, they might end up being bolted on inappropriately to games which wouldn't benefit from an undermining players' enjoyment. He's got a point, but I think he's dealing very much in the, well, you know, he's hypothetically creating mm. situations that are going to trouble him rather than dealing with what's actually going on, you know, because he's saying they might, they might, they might. It's like, if they do, sure. Come back, get angry again. Till then, <laughs> just relax, Dave. Enjoy a little mini game, a little throwaway app game of the sort that I spent a year working on. Huh? Throwaway, was it? Maybe something where you've got to catch an alien. Yeah. Like well, you can buy stuff in game as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's free that. now, so that's fair that's enough. That's right, then. Uh, I have some non-microtransaction related. I've got a movie question here, actually, from Adam Wrigley. Uh, it's quite a blunt, short email. Um, Cloudy with a chance of Meatballs 2 is coming out. What do you think? What do you think, Jonathan? I'm surprised. I sat for the first one. Did you not like the first one? The first one was great. I thought it was great. The first one was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even talk to him about the first one. He was like, really unhappy again. I thought this was going to be a safe place. (laughs) That's a trigger word for me, Cloudy. I thought it was terrible. It was good 3D, but terrible film. The whole sub-story with him and the father and all that trope, which was just so bolted on unbelievable and unearned. I hate movies like that. I like animated movies in which there's emotion and you, you engage with it, but it has to be earned. It has to feel genuine and real. That felt to me like four people in a, in a room, executives said, OK, well, we need him to have a problem with his dad. So then he wins his dad's love back at the end. It's an American. <laughs> That's good. How do we do that? Well, you can, you know, and it's like it just felt really forced. Yeah. And, I, and I disliked it for that reason. Did you dislike the mum stuff in Brave for the same reason? Like I disliked the, the main kind of like emotional trope as I saw it in Brave for mm-hmm. that reason because it felt to me, once again, very manufactured. Whereas if you look something like Spirited Away and we're back to obviously a masterpiece, surprising, unusual, child separate from both the parents and the parents both acting boorishly and the parents not having earned anything, learned anything by the end. You know, and that was interesting and refreshing and very much, if you take away the kind of fantasy uh, allegory of it very much how children regard their parents mm. you know very clever very deep very subtle very rich and enhancing but not in any way predictable whereas most not most but a lot of the American studio animated films come out and you think okay oh I see what it is so this kid needs to win back his father's love because the father thinks the kid can't do this and the kid will do this by the end and then uh, bleh, you know if you know where the movie's going from the beginning of the film sure you can still enjoy the ride but it's not something that you're going to want to see the sequel to maybe all American movie people have massive daddy issues I would I imagine a lot of them have, or they just think, okay, this is a very, very convenient and easy narrative thing to put in place. Mm. And that's what I think it is really. Oh, we need something in the first act for the hero to, and he doesn't even know what he wants yet. By the end of the second, now he knows what he wants, but he can't get it anymore. Third act, he got it. <laughs> Whereas Japanese movies often have what they consider to be a four act structure, mm. which is far more interesting and far less immediately rewarding, but gives you something to think about on the way home. Interesting. It's kind of kind of same with games, I think, because uh, Japanese games tend to Japanese games with emotion. It's either very very under the surface and subtle, or completely all there all the time. Like in Nino Kuni, you know, in the first like fifteen minutes of that, the protagonist's mum dies. Yeah, no and spoilers it's not, though. It's not well. <laughs> Everyone no, you're knows right. that. It's but that surprised minutes. me. Didn't it surprise you when you were playing it? And I went, oh wow. It did a bit, but I mean, I thought it was quite. It was quite. The way it was handled was very unsubtle. I mean, I think he literally says the words, Mommy, don't leave me. But I like the fact then that, that then he cries for like three days. Yeah, that's, yeah. And then finally, it's, it gets much kind of, yeah. Mr. Drippy, which is, I don't know whether they understood, but translating, I don't think that's a great name for no, a child sidekick anyway. <laughs> but the weird Mr. Drippy with the Welsh accent comes in. <laughs> I don't know what regional accent they use in Japan, but they use some old Osaka, Japanese. I think. Did they? Yeah, but yeah. hello, Mr. Drippy. 
you know, and then he kind of, and I quite liked all that. I thought that gave it a, 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 not a depth so much, but a kind of, you know, just an element of surprise that you wouldn't of, get in an American game. It was kind of a game about him dealing with depression, to be honest, because obviously, you know, he's, he's crying alone in his room and he escapes to a fantasy world to which his toy has taken him in which he might get his mother back. Why like did they think gamers would relate to that anyway? <laughs> <laughs> How silly of them. I know, right? <laughs> I have another piece of feedback. Um, this piece of feedback is from Gilbert Botham. Um, and he says, hey, guys, I just wanted to tell you as a new listener to the podcast, three things. Uh, one, I'm in love with all your accents. We have quite a few American listeners. Oh, oh they like that. They, they find us novel. I wonder if they like Jonathan's American accent. Yeah. Hey, baby, what's cooking? <laughs> that was Number booking. two. Was it? <laughs> yeah, I can do them all. <laughs> They're all the same, of course, yeah. but I just say they from different parts on that. Number two, you guys are freaking hilarious. I work at a library where I listen to the podcast. I always laugh out loud and get weird looks from people, so thanks for that. And that's mainly directed to me. Yeah, one, yeah. I mean, Chris is definitely the funniest <laughs> of the group. Um, number three, this one is for Keza. I don't know why you've given me a question to myself, but... Um, sprechen Sie Deutsch? Ich lerne Deutsch auch in meinem Universität und ich freue mich, dass Sie auch sprechen. Uh, yeah, I do speak German. Uh, yeah, I was do. That, thanks, Gilbert. <laughs> was anything rude in there or just... No, it uh, was just, do you speak German? I learned German at uni. Well, send us a rude question in Send us, send us rude words in German. Can send us a rude question. Can you read that out in German, but with a Japanese accent? <laughs> Don't, don't mess with my mind, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak Japanese as well? Yeah, yeah, I lived in Japan for a year. Sukoshi wa karimasu. Yamamada josu jarimasen. So this guy. Oh, moto, moto. What just happened? We could keep this guy. <laughs> I don't know no, what that's kind of exhausted me, really. I can say, I can ask you what you're doing later. Kyo wa nani o shimasu ka? Kyo wa game o shiteimasu. Oh, so that's ne. So that's ne. So that could go on for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, just say so deska or so desane. I saw this Or ano so deska. Yeah. What is the ano? It's the equivalent of uh. It's like um. Uh, it's kind of polite sometimes. But it's, it's funny because Japanese, if you're standing near people and you go ano, they all turn around yeah. ready to answer a question. <laughs> the, the main problem I had in Japan was that um, in Japan you're supposed to speak very high if you're a woman. Ano kore wa. They were trying to get me to speak like that, and that's not my natural register. Don't you have to have enormous all. eyes as well. <laughs> yeah, I had to wear things at night that kept them oh. open. Anime girl. A lot of boys are very excited right now watching me do this. Apart from those listening to the audio yeah. on the podcast, yeah, they're really. They're like, is he being racist? <laughs> Can't tell on the audio. I've already had an Asian ship out of Tibet. Yeah, yeah, what's he doing with his eyes? Should we move on? Let's move anyway, on. A couple of big movies out there. Uh, big movies. A couple of big uh, games out. I'm going to do that bit again. A couple of big games out this week, Kez. Yeah. Uh, Lara Croft reboot Tomb Raider. You excited about this, Jonathan? I've played about an hour of it already. And? It was fun. I thought it was good fun. It was annoying. They sent me a preview on the play, so I played it. And now when I want to play it, I've got to play back and learn all those very, early very skills annoying. again. They're so annoying. But I thought it was good. It's interesting what they're doing. It's kind of an origin story. You're seeing how she became Lara Croft. I think it's fun. It's uh, you know, it, if anything needed rebooting with a little bit of kind of um, uh, you know an added extra, it was that you couldn't just put in a new adventure. Mm. You know, I don't think we could really have followed no, no matter how pert and delightful, but just to follow some khaki-clad buttocks around another cave would have been a little bit boring. Mm. So it's kind of it feels it feels good. It feels like an interesting thing. And I think other you know other gamers, I'm sure other game companies will learn from that and do the same sort of thing. I bet we'll see a lot of back to basics like Batman Begins, but. You know, yeah. maybe that's what they should do with Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be that would be good. Yeah. But I, mean, I, I everyone knows I love Tomb Raider. Um, I gave it a nine point one for IGN. Wow, that's pretty high score. Yeah. Um, especially as I'm a hard ass on reviews. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Tomb Raider that that gets me, I think, on a, on a personal level, is that Lara Croft for me 
over the past like whatever 15 20 years has been everything from like the absolute embodiment of like female objectification in video games to the only relatable female that we have in video games and depending on who's been handling her and which game she's been in she's been all over that spectrum and I think this is a very firm statement of like, no, she's, this is who she is. We've never had really who she is. We've had what she represents, but not who she is. Yeah, yeah. And this one's very much about who she is, which is great. So it's calculated in a different way for that. Yes. Yeah. And she's pretty. She is very pretty. <laughs> she's still pretty. Yeah. She's so pretty. I'd love to see the Lara Croft face. The next one is she should be like 97. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Old Lara would be amazing. It'd be like Old Snake and Malgus. Old, old Lara. Get, old Lara. get the girl from a cool. to play she's her. She's kind of given up on society. Yeah. She lives in a cave a long way away now, but she has to come out of retirement. If Stallone can do it, why can't Lara Croft? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, SimCity's out this week as well. Are you a Sim fan? Uh, not really. My kids played it a lot. They loved it, you know, uh, but I never really got into it. Once again, it's that kind of like, it's a bit like time management. It's a bit like a kind of, uh, you know, you won't find me growing crops in Farmville. You won't find me buying bins for a fictional house in SimCity. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm just not into that kind of game. This is the first SimCity in, in I think, I might be wrong, but it's since SimCity 2000, so it's city planning. Uh, the guy who is at the head of IGN actually uh, studied urban architecture because of SimCity. That's a fun fact. The snake is eating its own tail. Since <laughs> <laughs> he's really good, it's ridiculously compulsive. Uh, ridiculously compulsive. Like you lose six hours easily by by just starting. The only thing about it though is that it relies very heavily on online. So when you're in your city, you're relying on your neighbours to trade with and for commuting and immigration oh. and stuff like that. And so the, the thing is, if one of your friends stops playing after a couple of months, then your city's going to suffer because their city's going to be like you know going to shit. Just like the real world again. <laughs> a friend of mine I know, who I can't know, but he's quite well known writer. He used to live alone before he got married, and he, he 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 learned a lot about how to be an adult. And he was already quite old from playing Sims, not yeah. Sims. Keep yourself you know. clean, eat regularly. He didn't know that. He didn't understand why his kitchen was sort of full of flies, and he realised he didn't have a bin. <laughs> and, and it was only when people started dying in his Sims house because they didn't have a bin that he realised he needed to buy himself a bin. It's a true story. And then he got a girlfriend after that, so everything turned out great. <laughs> One of my friend's mums apparently uh, spent about a year playing The Sims instead of actually doing any stuff around the house. <laughs> it was like an addictive, an addictive spiral. That's just minging. Yeah, it didn't go, it didn't go down so well, I don't think. Um, I have some films coming out this week. You uh, We have Parker, Jason Statham's new movie. Have you seen this one yet? Well, I've seen part of it. Here's the thing. I love the Parker character. And have you seen the Parker comic books by Darwin Cook? No, I haven't. Oh, OK. No. They're just about the best comic books out there right now. They're published by um, IDW. They're incredible. Darwin Cook did a little bit of work at DC. He, re he did some Batman work. He did. Uh, he rebooted The Spirit recently, which was the Will Eisner character that mm. Frank Miller made into one of the worst movies in the history of cinema. Um, and he's been doing the Parker things. And Parker's been used in cinema before. There was a classic Lee Marvin movie called Point Blank years ago, mm -hmm. directed by John Borman, which is pretty close to being a masterpiece. Yeah. It's a very brutal, unforgiving character. Yeah, payback with um, yeah. Mel Gibson was the same very character. Noir, yeah, and that was kind of a mistake, a misstep, I think. Mm -hmm. But apparently that was recut a couple of times. And mm. Darwin Cook told me he'd seen an early cut that which worked. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to this, but I'm kind of wary because I don't think necessarily Jason Statham and J-Lo together are the people to make this work. Yeah. I'd rather have seen this kind of like, you know, gritty and young and low budget. Yeah. And that would have yeah. been hardcore and good, I think. But I'll give it a chance, certainly, because the Parker character is great. And the books, once again, I cannot recommend the comics highly enough. And they're de designed beautifully. He kind of uses design ideas from the period. And sometimes you'll see something as if it's in a magazine from the period, and then like a comic book or a kid's book from the period. Just beautiful, real works of art. Uh, Jason Statham, though, his character does put on a, a Texas accent in the film. Oh. It's not good. He's never been an accent man anyway. Not really? And he plays a character putting on an accent, and it, it's, it doesn't go well. 
I'm trying to think where I've heard an example of an Englishman doing an American accent. Recently. You're going to think, well, apart from me and Dick Van Dyke, there are no other pretenders to the phone, but the Stafe will lead the way, I imagine. Because Stafe speaks like this, and he's like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I dare you. So he's going to be, howdy, partner. What's up? <laughs> How's it going? I've been out getting balls in from the field all morning. <laughs> I'm knackered. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually better. Um, we've got Soderbergh's new movie, Side Effects which I haven't seen, so I can't comment on really. I haven't seen either, but no. Soderbergh's always going to be worth watching. Yeah. Mm. Always be worth a look. And apparently it's his last, last film, film yeah. until the next one. That's nonsense. <laughs> yeah. He moved. He gave up about <laughs> 10 years ago, didn't he? He quit from cinema, and then he came back with Owen Brockovich, you know, so he yeah. keeps yeah. giving up, and then he'll find something inspiring. He'll be back. Be back. <laughs> what was that Black and White War movie he made? <clears throat> that with George Clooney. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but what I loved about it is they used the technology from that period. That's right. So the, the sound, it was mono period. sound, it really oh, looked beautiful, yeah, but yeah. and the story was quite good. Okay. I thought it was a bit slow. A bit slow. Robot and Frank is coming out which is brilliant, uh, Frank Langella, um, about a relationship between a guy and his robot butler. Uh, and the, his character used to be a gentleman thief, and he realises that the, the robot can actually help him to pull off robberies. No spoilers. Um, that's really good, well worth seeking out. And Oz, the Great and Powerful. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it. I've not heard great things, I'll be honest with you. I'm a big Sam Raimi fan. Mm -hmm. I've known Sam since... I loved Evil Dead 1 and I got in touch when I made a documentary series on him, which I think you can find online. I, I have seen it on that. Uh, yeah, and I interviewed him in between Evil Dead 2 and 3 and he was just, he was helping, he was making a film set in a shopping mall that he was only producing. He was working on the scripts for Darkman, which I love the Darkman yeah, movies. Yeah. See, they'd make a great video game. Yeah. Darkman characters, great world of disguises. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. The trailers look great. I think the trailers look great and imaginative, but but I said I haven't heard the best things yet, but I will definitely go and see it. Yeah, we, we've liked it. We've given it about a 7.8 out of 10, 7.5. Mm. Pretty good, no, better than Alice in Wonderland because it's obviously been made by the same studio, it's got the same kind of technology at work there, the trailers look very similar but I think there's much more going on in this one. I liked it, you mean Burton's Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. I liked that though, I, Did thought you? That was, I thought it was fun, I thought it was different, I thought it had some great ideas and it was a bit long, as mm. is often the case, mm. but you know, but Burton's got that kind of visual gave, style which is trailer. Gave me a headache. Yeah, it was a little bit, there, was, there were moments, much. I mean it could have ended sooner and I wouldn't have complained, but I did mm. enjoy it. Yeah. So we're rapidly running out of time, but before mm -hmm. we go, I just, I'd be interested to know, we're only in, in March, I'm just wondering what, what is going to happen over the, the, the rest of the year, of the next kind of uh, nine months or so, movies and games that you personally are looking forward to that are coming out? Uh, Bioshock, mm. uh, which will be out, when is it, summer, early summer? March. Okay, March. End of March, yeah. Okay, I already played about now and that, and I really enjoyed that, and I'm looking forward to seeing that, that would be good. Half-Life 3, as you know, is uh, due, I believe it's officially now April. I've made that up, but a few people got very excited for a second then when I said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I might, you know, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the big release is due this year. I mean, I'm probably going to be focusing on, I'm going to try and work my way through some of the smaller games, you know, and I'm going to be looking for more independently type stuff and looking, maybe I'll f finally finish that Nico Nuni or Nuno Nini. Nuno That's the one. Nuno yeah, I'll finish that one. Oh, boy, oh. Um, <laughs> so I'll finish that probably, but, you know, I'm, and uh, all the big games that come out, I'll give them a go. You know, I mean, a lot of time I just sort of dip my toe in and don't play too long. But I'm looking forward to I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the Nintendo Wii U coming up with something which actually uses its potential properly. At the moment, I don't think it has. I think it's a great piece of hardware. Mm. I think you know it's got great potential, but I don't think any of the games really. And there'll be a few. Is the Pikmin out for that yet? Yeah, Pikmin's going to be out in the summer, I believe. That, I, I saw a, a, an unplayable demo that I saw, and it yeah. looked incredible. Does and normally they get that right. And Pikmin's such a great game, so I'm looking forward to that. And what about of the um, superhero movies coming out this year? Any of your 
Well, I know Josh is over filming Avengers 2 already because I was invited down to the set, but I'm not going to go because it kind of spoils it when you go and see the mm. movie. I mean, I went down to the set of almost all the Bond movies and almost without exception, when you then see it on screen, you go, oh, where was I standing? Well, I was over there. Why yeah, I yeah. And it kind of spoils the Avengers for you, so I avoid that, although it's great, you know, it's exciting the thought, oh, Captain America's <laughs> in town. But I'm not going to go over and do that. So I'm looking forward to Iron Man 3. Yeah. Uh, very much because Down is great in that role, of course. It'd be interesting him with Shane Black. Looking at Avengers 2, but I guess that's next year. He's Guardians of the Galaxy next year as next well. Next year, this that's year we've got Man of Steel. That I've heard great things about that. Mm -hmm. A few people have seen that have said it's great, really? so I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's it's a good combo, you know. I, I thought Nolan's Batman's film were all, all of them were wildly overrated, frankly, and I didn't enjoy that. And I think uh, I would like to see Batman for way like that. Because you can't you know, say, and then you had him, and then you had Bane. Whoa, I'm going to do this. It's like, well, I couldn't understand either of them. It was just horrible. Thank God they had Catwoman in the film. So um, it was that was, a, I think, an unrewarding experience. But Nolan is obviously Inception, I thought, was you know, about as good as those kind of big, you know, high concept, but big studio movies get. So I imagine he can make it work. And the one, the, one, the one I'm looking forward to this year is um, Kick-Ass 2. And obviously your wife was involved in the first one. She's not really that heavily involved in this one. No, no, no. I mean, no. they're working on a new film together, her and Matthew, at the moment, which is going to be great, I think. Some of the scenes they've come up with, some of the ideas are brilliant. Um, but no, she wasn't really involved in that. But I have seen quite a lot of footage of that, and it yeah. looks great. I mean, yeah, what I've seen really so far good. looks really good. And Jim Carrey, who I've heard has just signed on for another superhero movie, but I'm probably not going to talk about that. Uh, but Jim Carrey looks great in it. Yeah. You've got some great supporting cast and some great British actors in there as well. Andy Diamond's in that, who's really good. I, I, went, I went down on set and I, I agree with Jim about Jim Carrey and that the, the woman who plays Mother Russia, He's I good. think, could be a big breakout character She's as well. She's the director's girlfriend, though, isn't she? <laughs> oh, she really? is. No, not the mother, not the big Russian lady. The director's oh. girlfriend is like a 20-something yeah, American woman. I was woman. when I heard yeah, Mother no, Russia. That's a different woman. That, well, I saw him in a good light then. Now I've gone away. Now but, you know, I, I, you know, I hope it does well. I love yeah. the Kick-Ass first Kick-Ass movie. Agreed, yeah. I kind of felt like they told the story, mm -hmm. you know, and so I wonder whether it's going to feel like, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see whether Hit Girl is, works because yeah. she really only worked because sure, she was kind of damaged, but essentially in a, a, an abused person trapped in a relationship who didn't know what she was doing. Whether she'll now work now that she's kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know how old she is in the movie, but Chloe, of course, she's about 16 now, yeah. who's playing her. So whether she'll work in the movie is, I mean, I know initially when they were making the movie and they went to the studio with scripts, one of the things that prompted Jane and Matthew to stay independent with it is all this shit, we love it. Make Hit Girl 17, sexy. And they're mm. going, no, you're missing the point. Yeah. That, that if she's 17, 60, that is, it's, ugh, it yeah. doesn't work. Yes. But if she's a kid who doesn't know any better, and that, that's what makes it cool. It makes it like you want to see her freed from that, but you want to see them, you know, you want to see how it plays out. So um, I don't know whether or not yeah. Hit Girl's going to be the focus that she was in the first film because of course she's a, an adult now essentially. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, good luck with Catch Catcher Aliens. I Thank hope you. you know there are many billions of downloads and uh, and you can buy hats. On if the you game. download one, if you like it, buy something. Yeah. If you don't, don't. That's it. It's kind of a very honest transaction. Very really, democratic, isn't it? really. Well, when I buy games, if I like them, like I've spent a lot of money on um, uh, what's it called, Kingdom Guard. Is it Kingdom Guard? You know, is that one? I don't know that one. It's that one where you. It's, maybe it's not Kingdom Guard. Anyway, it's a great game where you're trying to stop people getting to your kingdom. I think it is. Kingdom. Tower defense. It's a tower defense yeah. game, but because I like it, I've bought a lot of big bombs. <laughs> it's quite expensive bombs. <laughs> Blown up a lot of soldiers. I actually spent money on Curiosity. I genuinely did. Spent, wow. spent it on a chisel. You know Curiosity? Yeah, that's the uh, Molyneux thing, isn't yeah, it? Molyneux's, yeah, Molyneux's uh, big cube. 
I do, I, in the moments of madness, I actually. Do you get any it. closer to the centre of the cube? No, I don't think. You know, you know what is in the centre, don't you? Uh, well, we were thinking maybe uh, a video of Peter Molyneux. Yeah, naked. Yeah, that's what that's was, that was what that's we did. Naked, mind. laughing hysterically, <laughs> <laughs> holding a chisel, a real chisel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much it for this week, Jonathan. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, let us know what you thought of today's show. IGN UK feedback at ign.com or Facebook and Twitter IGN UK. We will see you next week. Thank Thanks for watching. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.